0: Well, to me, uh, the hottest, the most exciting uh, team, the program right now across football and basketball in the Big 12 Conference is the Kansas State Wildcats. I'm Pete Mundo on Heartland College Sports, and we now welcome on and say hi to our friend Tim Fitzgerald, gopowercat.com, doing an outstanding job uh, covering the Wildcats. Tim, it's great to have you here on the show as always, my friend. Uh, How does this compare when you talk about where this football program is at, fresh off a Big 12 title? Basketball program, Elite Eight run. How does this compare to, let's say, what, 2012 maybe? What's better? What's different? How do you compare these two periods of time?
1: Yeah, the the 12-13 seasons in which K-State won football, basketball, and baseball that season, which was incredible. That's hard for anyone to do. Um, And I I just saw Twitter, I don't even know what K-State fan put it up, but... It had a number of votes on it, and most fans, and maybe it's recency bias, who are voting for this season being more remarkable. But remember back in, in the 12-13 and 13 seasons, there was no Big 12 championship game for football. K-State just won it on the field against Texas, and there was no big game victory in terms of you know meeting the other best team. And in basketball, um, as happened with both Big 12 title teams under Coach Weber, they lost in the first round of the tournament. So that was... Kind of stolen, I you know from fans, and I I argue that um, league titles are great. They're important. They're they're wonderful. You hang banners for, them. but you're really measured by March and April and what you do in in those those games in the tournament. So going to the Elite Eight with this team uh, and and winning a exciting, thrilling, amazing Big Twelve football championship game probably pushes us over the top for K State fans.
0: Yeah, you know, and I think, too, um, to your point, a lot of what you said, there was no football championship game, Elite Eight this year, and just thinking as well, like, the next five years. And it's no disrespect to Bruce Weber, um, and it's no disrespect to Bill Snyder, but we knew that Bill Snyder was kind of uh, approaching the tail end, and Bruce Weber, was that just a flash in the pan with somebody else's players, or what was it? Jerome Tang made this team the toast of March Madness, with his approach right. to everything. And then Chris Kleiman, you're sitting there saying, Hey, I got a national championship coach. It's starting to pay off now. It had, had a you know, maybe a, a slow start with the COVID year and everything like that. But man, I don't know. I'm just looking to it the next five years and that makes this year more exciting to me if I'm a K State fan, Tim.
1: Oh, I agree. I agree because there's, you know, another roster rebuild is going to happen with basketball, but now you have tremendous faith that Jerome is going to do it. Uh, and he doesn't have to get into the portal as much. They've got, you know, four guys that are going to be considered red shirts, um, you know, three incoming freshmen and three returnees um, from the players who, you know, played Big 12 time. Um, and then three transfers. So it's not going to be as heavy in the transfer portal. So when Gerald Tang says we're going to be patient and wait for the next, you know, kind of wave to hit the portal and, and you know, make sure we're getting the best players for us, you trust him because, he took this thing all the way into August and, and, and got it done with building an incredible roster last year. So in um, in football, we just had a football press conference yesterday with the defensive coaches. They feel like they're deeper and, and more skilled than they ever have been on the defensive side of the ball. And that's remarkable when you've lost guys like Julius Brant at corner and Felix Chaney, D.K. Uzama at rush end. They feel like they've got guys that can plug in and have greater depth and flexibility with how they want to play. So, um, I think the optimism right now K KC fans is over the moon.
0: Well, what about, uh, before we get to some football, just the basketball side of things right now, uh, there are questions, obviously, who's coming back, who's going to be coming from the portal. Obviously, a lot of rumors, LJ Cryer, does he come up from Baylor? I mean, the transfer portal so chaotic, you can't predict any of it. But what are some reasonable expectations and assumptions from what you're hearing around, um, you know, who's returning, who's coming back, what that means, and then what the additions look like uh, going into the next season.
1: Well, one of the joys in covering Jerome Tang is <clears throat> he does speak in some codes at times that you got to crack. Um, you know, through the season he said, look, well, we don't want to be platooning offense, defense, this is football. Um, and, you know, that was an indication that Ish probably didn't fit what they wanted, and that's how it played out. Uh, they also can be very literal in what he says. And then on the Field of 68 podcast, he said, we want two guards that have played about 90 games in their career. So he wants two veteran senior guards that are coming in for their final season that have played a lot of games. Um, he wants a true point guard in that group, um, but, you know, one that can also score. Um, so uh, that's, That seems to exclude Cryer, who's not a point guard, wants to be a point guard. Uh, But I I don't think Jerome Chang looks at his point guard position as a, you know, a a place to go train a senior. Uh, He wants to train the freshman that's incoming, you know, be a major conference point guard. And he also wants another guard that can, you know, fill it up and and play a little point guard but, you know, really get after it. Uh, Maybe that fits Cryer. I don't know. but It fits other guys in the portal much better, Mm -hmm. you know, point guards that have scored 20 points a game and handed out five assists and and the things that he's looking for. But then he also says, look, the the portal's got a window here, and we think some really good players are going to come in at the very end. And and that's not just him guessing. That's him literally telling us, we know some players are going to be coming in. Uh, We suspect we know who they are, and those are the guys that we want. So um, it's, it's pretty interesting to me to watch how he operates it. You know, after a year, I'm beginning to learn how to decode some of the things he's
0: Mm-hmm. What has it been like, you know, now that this this Elite Eight run has settled down over the last couple of weeks, watching Jerome Tang operate and run this program on a national stage, seeing this team become really the darlings of, of, of March in many ways with Marquise Noel and how that run went. I mean, I think everybody wanted to see K-State and this run continue into the Final Four, even just casual college basketball fans what has that been like for K-State, for this program, for Manhattan, Kansas uh, as a whole, and and how the community in general has has treated and taken these last couple of weeks?
1: Yeah, it's it's been remarkable. As, as President Richard Litton uh, said during an interview, it, he's impacted the entire campus and community. It's not just about basketball with what Jerome Tang has touched. He's united the campus in a way that, frankly, uh, you can't see anyone else being able to do. And the amount of time he's invested in the student body is remarkable. <clears> he's <throat> a really busy guy. He's got a lot of coaching to do and a lot of things uh, on his plate, and yet he goes to dinners at sororities and fraternities and other organizations. He, he's been to the Muslim Student Center uh, to speak to them about faith and, and basketball and most of it. Um, He does his hang with Tang sit-down on a couch around you know, campus that are just a blast to watch because he's so entertaining and how engaging he is. Uh, so he's invested a lot in in the entire university uh, and it's really paid off so people are are really in his camp um they they love the man i mean there's no way around it he's just he's a person you gravitate towards and and we saw that with the NCAA tournament general fans that were watching said this coach is awesome this program's really cool look at the look at their pregame ritual but now it's you know little babies up on the charts again with a three-year-old song because of Kansas State. The impact is just impossible to measure, although there was a measurement put out by Kansas State <clears throat> that between news and social media hits, the, the, the week of the New York region, they had 2.2 billion hits valued at a media value of $65 million. That's just, I mean, that's a four- or five-day period. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Um, it's just amazing. Uh, and now... The big question is in the bigger picture of what athletics represents for a university does this convert to an added enrollment and enrollment growth in a very difficult time for academic institutions to grow their enrollment
0: that is so true I mean you you've got higher education that is struggling across the board to keep enrollment up and I got to imagine you know K state uh, competing with Kansas for the top kids in the state that only has three million people I mean this one one person said this to me, And I'm curious with your take on this, Tim. You know, they said, what if Kansas just had one flagship state university like Nebraska? How would that be better for athletics across the board with funding going to one school instead of splitting it between two? It's never going to happen, nor should it ever happen. But it's interesting to look at it from the perspective you're saying three million people in this state, not a ton compared to some of our other states, uh, not just in the region, but around the country and two flagship state universities that are trying to compete for attention, eyeballs, and students. It's And this is a huge step forward for K-State.
1: You're right. Um, it, the advantage in, in donors and viewership that a Missouri or a Nebraska has over a Kansas or a Kansas State because of that is, is significant. I mean, even look at Ohio State. They've got a ton of universities, but there's no doubt who the flagship is. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact you know, a lot of students that go to the University of Ohio are also kind of backseat Ohio State fans. Uh-huh. That doesn't happen that often here. And another layer to that, Pete, is um Kansas State is really competing with Fort Hay State, um, for a lot of students. Um and, you know, out in western Kansas and with ag degrees and, and, and that's where the real overlap is is or you know, and I certainly am not calling for the shutdown of any of the lesser you know, sized universities in the state, but, you know, that's where the, a lot of the bleed off is for students because, you know, if you're in Western Kansas, you've gone to a high school with maybe 30 kids and you're graduating class, Fort Haystown sounds pretty good. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's you know, a whole other layer. And on top of that, because you have Fort Hays and Emporia and Pitt and Washburn and other surrounding campuses, you have a, a tremendous athletics environment on those campuses. Uh, in terms of rivalries and spirit. And I, I think you actually see fewer people. Like, you know, if you went to SEMO, there's a good chance you're a Missouri fan because that's the big school. And you just don't really see that reflected in the state of Kansas as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's just an interesting dynamic. <clears throat> and it all comes down to recruiting. You know, you can talk about dollars and all that, but with a limited pool of recruits, you are fighting uh, head-to-head for football players in the state of Kansas uh, and bluntly put, there's only enough football talent to really properly source one you know, major college football program in the state, and that's been the ongoing battle between the two schools. Who gets those, those Kansas players sure. that are essential for filling out a roster and getting quality players? Mm-hmm. K-State didn't step forward in football until Wichita State stepped out of football. And yes. I think that's something people have missed. A lot of players, you know, you can go through the history of K-State football Recent history of walk-ons from Wichita that would have been scholarship at Wichita State. Uh, BJ Finney, who you know, went on to play in the NFL for a number of years, probably would have got a scholarship from Wichita State. Um, and it's just it's an interesting dynamic in the state. With so many levels with how many academic institutions we have.
0: Uh, very good point, uh, Tim Fitzgerald. Go Power Cat is joining us here on the show. All right, Tim, I want to get your thoughts on just the continuing drama here for the Big 12, the Pac-12, how this all plays out. It's just too good. And you and I are both kind of uh, like to nerd out on this issue. So uh, the Pac-12 continues to uh, sit back and wait for a TV deal to, I guess, fall into its lap that will approach Big 12 money of about $32 million, a team starting in 2025. But there's a lot of headwinds there, not just their own internal issues with the conference, but, of course, uh, recession. Where's the inventory for their games right now? Uh, what What do you think in terms of where we're at in the Big 12, Pac-12 battle expansion and how the TV factor plays into this?
1: Well, it, it's, it's fascinating for me because I've literally been covering this topic since the formation of the Big 12 um, and, you know, certainly in the last 10 to 12 years when it really heated up with schools moving around the landscape of college athletics i mean we've been uh, into this topic for a long time we kind of learned the nuances of it we've learned the mathematics of it how a lot of these media deals work um and i I think what we're seeing from out west in the pac-12 media and chancellors and presidents is a real misunderstanding of how the marketplace um and what's going on here um, their plan is is trying to just wait until something good comes along. And that's not a plan. That's a prayer. Um, and, you know, one of the writers out there did a story yesterday that broke down the latest thoughts from the Pac-12 perspective, and I appreciate him offering those, um, even if he comes across as Baghdad Bob. I mean, he, <clears throat> he cons- continues to insist that everything's all right, everything's going to be fine, and here's why, and none of it adds up. Uh, they're not delaying. They've now slowed down the process uh, as if it could go slower, um, and they're willing to wait till August. In other words, they don't have a deal, so let's just wait. That's the solution, and one will come along because we're the Pac-12. That's not a plan. Again, that's a prayer. That's a hope. Uh, maybe that's all they have, <clears throat> but to compare that to how the Big Ten waited until August prior to their last year, their media contract, is – silly because the Big Ten wasn't praying for a good offer. They had so many offers, they they took forever to kind of weed through them and and, figure out what fit together and what was best alignment for them. They had so much money on the table, uh, they had to figure out how to deal with it. That's a complete opposite of what the Pac-12 had. They don't have hardly any money on the table. They don't have enough money to survive. Um, So I don't know if they think the economy is going to come out of this kind of spin and media – Rights have you know they've all kind of pulled in their their wallets right now. Um, by August, I don't see that happening, um, and uh, we'll see how it plays out. But I think they're just delaying to try to survive. It's again, I've used this metaphor. It's like a coach calling timeouts down twenty in the final minute of a game. Uh, you're just delaying the loss, not the inevitable. I mean, it's going to happen.
0: So then, what happens with that league, and how? Could, in your opinion, the Big Twelve capitalize?
1: Well, I think once they they finally you know push Silent George the commissioner to, to speak and say the numbers out loud publicly, there'll be some schools that say, "What? Well, that's not good enough." Either in financial amounts um, or visibility, and you know, those are two different topics here. <clears throat> the Pac twelve feels like they can generate enough money to keep them together on the books. But if 80% of your games are streaming only, um, if you only got a couple games a week that are appearing on, you know, what they're now calling linear TV, which might be a network or ESPN or Fox, one of their sports channels, Um, if if that's all you have is a couple opportunities to be in front of the nation and then you're relying on the nation to turn on Apple or Amazon or some other streamer to go find you, to go out of their way to find you, um, you're in big trouble. This isn't the NFL where we all know the you know the charges and chiefs are playing on Amazon Thursday night. Um, this is you know two Pac-12 teams playing on Amazon, uh, and nobody's going to turn on the TV to go find that. Uh, they're going to they're going to find the Thursday night game on ESPN or Fox and go watch that. It's it's a mess. It's it's been caused by awful leadership. And, again, I go back to our experience in covering this and seeing awful leadership at work and how it was overcome. Well, denying that it's a problem is is not a way to overcome it and deciding that schools aren't worthy to be associated with you because their academics are, aren't high enough uh, limits your ability to expand to the point where are you going to be able to expand to any universities that are tangible enough to help you out? And I think that answer is becoming no pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, I think so as well. And now you just kind of sit back and you pop the popcorn. But I'll tell you what, Tim, as a Big 12 guy, it's nice to be on the opposite end of this,
1: isn't it? Like is <laughs> Isn't it just a breath of fresh it is, air? Doesn't it just it's feel amazing. so damn good? Well, and and, and for once, I, I feel like, uh, you know, I, I actually what I'm saying is, it comes from experience, I, and I know what we're talking about here. We've been through this. We've seen this. We've seen it all play out, although there is, you know, some changes in the landscape that Brett Yormark's brought to the table that that fans and, and certainly, you know, a lot of Big 12 fans are understanding that he has he's found out that the, the networks have been shortchanging the conference on basketball media rights, and he's going to try to break them out separately uh, from football media rights uh, because he feels like he can get 30 million for football for school and maybe another 20 25 million for basketball and you know what that does that closes the gap between the big 10 and sec mm-hmm. um, and that's why he's looking at gonzaga villanova and maybe uconn even for football because what they bring on the basketball side is so additive and valuable to the conference that. They can be patient, maybe, maybe, and wait on them to get more serious about football and maybe joining the Big 12 would, you know, accelerate UConn football. I don't know. Uh, I I always come back to this beat. Someone's got to lose the game, so why not UConn? Yeah. Um, And, um, you know, that keeps the value of your existing institutions up there. But uh, there's so many things going on with Brett Yormark. He's hard to keep up with. And the Pac-12's over there uh, just blaming him for all their troubles. And I keep using this metaphor. Uh, the lifeboats outside the Titanic aren't the problem. The iceberg is, um, and they continue to bitch about the lifeboats and not not really understand that the iceberg is a serious threat.
0: That is so well said. He is uh, Tim Fitzgerald. Go Power Cat! It is always great to have him on the show. So uh, you know we're just going to be watching here the next few weeks here, Tim, and when it comes to what's going to happen in the Big Twelve, in the Pac-12, more importantly, and how that could impact uh, the Big Twelve. Do you, do you like this idea of going for some basketball-only schools? I, I'll tell you what. I was against it at first because I saw the Big East crumble under that model 10 to 15 years ago. But I think it's a different time, and I, I think yep. to what you alluded there, your Mark's vision of saying, hey, if I can get 30 mil for football and 15, 20, 25 mil a team for basketball— why the heck not do it if you can build a super conference in basketball? Because let's be honest, this league is not going to be the SEC in football, and we all can accept that and admit that.
1: Well, there is virtually no pathway for Kansas State or Oklahoma State or West Virginia to suddenly elevate themselves to the SEC elite. And and the reason is something they can't overcome. There's not a recruiting base to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you look at the SEC. The the best high school football prospects in the country are coming out of those warm weather regions <clears throat> that they recruit. Yeah. Um. And they're they're, they're in state kids. Uh, and that's just an advantage the Big Twelve will never overcome. And and maybe the the Big Ten either. Um. The, the only people programs really competing right now on a consistent basis for the Big Ten are Ohio State, Michigan. Maybe Penn State, you know, um, they're running into that issue too. But again, you're talking about um, two institutions from big population states where a lot of high school football is played. And you know, Ohio's a great recruiting state. New Jersey's a great recruiting state that Penn State can access, and as is Pennsylvania. So all the all the schools that are really good in football have a natural recruiting base that you don't see in Kansas. Again, we talk about the two institutions you don't see in Oklahoma because of two institutions, and you might see in Texas, but um, there's so many Division One FBS schools in Texas, uh, it gets really impactful for that recruiting base too. Um, you're just not going to elevate to that level; mm-hmm. it's not going to happen. You're not going to match football money from the Big Ten or SEC. You're just not, and and he, I think he's recognized that, but they can't they can't match Big Twelve basketball now. What if you add UConn and Gonzaga and Arizona? Um, and, you know, you go down the list of some other schools that might be looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens then? Um, and I think he's looking at being the the basketball version of SEC football. Yes. Um, that can't be matched by anyone else.
0: And I think it's a very smart play. And I will say, I wrote about this on the site a couple of weeks ago, that, that <clears throat> Thursday night Sweet 16 game for K-State, the same day that uh, – your mark announces that rucker park deal uh that may have been one of those days we look back on and say marquise noel back page of the new york post back page of the new york daily news harlem kid rucker park announcement you could not have written that script if you're nope. brett your and it's not like a day that anyone's going to remember outside of the diehards but that is one of those days that brett your can say that's a day that helped change the future of this conference
1: and that's why I continue to think that know um, V's a possibility on the very fringes because he understands being present <clears throat> in significant markets. He's trying to own New York because New York is a wild card. Um, it really doesn't have records as a New York team. Um, no. you know, it's, it, it's a hodgepodge collection of college sports fans that turned out to watch Madison Square Garden was a hard ticket. Mm-hmm. Even with no local teams, it was a hard ticket. Um and even when it was, you know, Kansas State and FAU in the championship game, the building was full of college sports fans that chose Kansas State. Again, that's a dream come true for Brett Yormark. That's incredible. Now he's going to try to, you know, get into Rucker Park and start doing um some some camps and, and branding of his schools and bring players and coaches. And oh yeah, uh, let's not forget that if ESPN had a local team, it's UConn. Yeah. Um, and if you have UConn, it's going to be hard for ESPN uh, and you know the people they go to dinner with to say, well, we don't want a contract with the Big 12, even if it includes UConn. It's going to, you know, that's going to have a lot of backyard pressure uh, from everyone associated with ESPN. He's just a move ahead of all of us. Um, And it's fascinating because, again, he came from it as an outsider. He wasn't in the culture of college sports of the dreaded, this is how we've always done things, which is the death of almost anything. Mm -hmm. If your your entity, whether it's a corporation or a nonprofit, gets caught up in this is how we've always done things, you're going to start doing things altogether because you're going to get dated. He has brought new thoughts to the table, and they work.
0: Tim Fitzgerald, go power cat, Tim, as always, we are grateful for your time, my friend. I know you put up on social media. Uh, you're getting set to kick some ass of cancer here again pretty soon. We all wish you well. We pray for you, and um, we love what you do. So thank you uh, for being here, and thanks for being a great friend.
1: Yep, radiation starts today. Hopefully superpowers arrive tomorrow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, we can learn a lot from Tim's uh, outlook <laughs> on this and life in general. Thanks for being here, man.
1: Thank you, my friend.
0: Tim Fitzgerald, go Power Cat! Love having him on the show. I'm Pete Mundo. Hey, before you leave, uh, could you pop in a rating, review, hit that subscribe button on iTunes if you haven't yet, and I'll get you a free Heartland College Sports koozie when you leave a rating and a review and you send me a screenshot of that rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O at heartlandcollegesports.com. So grateful for each and every one of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being a part of the show, and we'll talk to you soon. Have a great day.